Morning, City Light. How we doing? Good, good. My name is Chuck, and I am the City Group's pastor here at our church. And you may ask, what is a City Group, and why do we have a pastor dedicated to these things that we call City Groups? Well, here's why. City Light exists. Our mission, our goal is to multiply disciples and churches. And so we do that primarily through city groups. They are how we live out the mission of God that he's called us to do. So what I do, my job, if you want to call it that, I enjoy doing it, it doesn't even feel like a job, but my job is to connect people to city groups. It's to help train up leaders to lead city groups and it's to start up new city groups. So if you aren't in a city group, if you want to lead a city group, if you want to connect to a city group, if you want to host a city group, would you take, there's a Get Connected card in the seat back that's right in front of you. It's got black at the top. Would you just fill that out and drop that in the giving box or hand that to me after, after we gather and uh, we'll make sure that we talk a little bit later in the week. Um, we're spending our summer in, the book, of, in a, uh, the book in the Bible called Psalms. Now, a psalm, it's a, like a poem. It's like a song. Some people call it a hymn. And basically, when we think of the book of Psalms, we can think of it as 150 different poems or hymns that um, help us go from, uh, from like despondency to prayer, to, from, uh, leads us into worship. Eric said it really good last week when he said that the Psalms is a playlist that directs our hearts toward God. It reminds us that when we feel like we are out of God's place, we're not out of his plan. So today, we're in Psalm 77, and if you have an app or a Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalm 77. We're going to be uh, checking that out in just a minute. Now, have you ever been in a position where you feel like somebody wrote you off, or maybe you feel like somebody completely forgot that you existed? Have you ever been in that spot? Well, I've been there. In January of 2011, our youngest son, Cole, he was um, diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease that required chemotherapy. It wasn't cancer, but its prognosis was similar. And basically, we were dealing with the idea that um, our son could possibly, um, we would outlive our son, our parents' worst nightmare, right? Right? Uh, that's what we were going through in January of 2011. Along with that, I was pastoring a small church, and uh, I was in no way, shape, or form ready to deal with the stresses and all the different things that come with pastoring. So I resigned that small church. <clears throat> I remember, uh, so in January of 2011, um, we were probably in the, some of the darkest, some of the, the hardest times in our life, my wife and I were. And I remember looking at her as we were up in our bedroom um, chatting about our circumstances and telling her that I didn't sign up for this. I didn't know life was supposed to be this hard. My son was going through an experience that I felt like I should have been able to protect him from. I mean, that's what we do, right? We protect our kids, and he's going through these series of circumstances that I felt like I should have been able to protect him from, and I couldn't. Um, I felt like God had called me to pastor people, and now that had gone away as well. 
And um, in that season of life, Jen and I, we felt alone and forgotten. We felt abandoned and left behind. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever looked to the sky and wondered whatever was up there, if they were even listening to you? Have you ever, like, prayed thinking, I don't even know if God exists, so is this even worth my effort? Well, I'm, if you have been there, I want you to know that you're not alone. There's people all throughout this room that have been there. I've been there. People in this room have been there. And the worship leader that wrote this psalm has also been there. And uh, we're going to dive into this this morning. Let's look at Psalm 77. It's a story about a man whose circumstances had driven him to despair. And he was in the throes of doubt. He was struggling with his faith and in, uh, thought that God had forgotten about him. He didn't think that his current circumstances were part of the deal that God made with him. He didn't sign up for this, and he thought that things were going to be way different than what they were. And this led him to a moment of crisis in his faith. But what we're going to see is that Asaph, this guy who wrote the book of Psalms, um, he moved from doubting to deep faith in God. And what Psalm 77 teaches us is that we can go from doubt to deep faith. And I want us to see two things about this psalm this morning. Number one, the reality of grief and doubt. Sometimes grief and doubt are a part of life, right? Sometimes they affect us in deep ways. And so I want us to see the reality of grief and doubt, but I also want us to see that we can remember God's goodness and deliverance in the midst of that grief and doubt. The reality of grief and doubt and then remembering God's goodness in the midst of that grief and doubt. So Psalm 77, it opens up with a cry of distress. Look at verses 1 through 3. It says, I, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Now, we don't know exactly what problem Asaph was dealing with here, but we know that he cried out to God about it. He begged and he groaned to the point of exhaustion. His spirit was faint. Sorrow and disappointment, it threatened to crush him. He tried to focus on the Lord's goodness, but he just couldn't seem to find any comfort in the midst of all that struggle. Verse 4, it says, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. He was so disturbed with his circumstances that he couldn't even put in the words what it was that was bothering him. Asaph, he's in the throes of grief, and there seems to be no light at the end of the tunnel. He feels like things are hopeless. It's a desperate, dire situation that he's in, and his words are blunt, and they're to the point. Asaph, he's stepping deeper and deeper into grief and to doubt. This grief and doubt, it's overwhelming him. And he wants desperately, he's trying desperately to shore up his faith by remembering God's goodness. Look in verses 5 and 6. 
I consider the days of old, the years of long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Asaph, he tries to remember God's past blessings. He tries to remember those songs that he used to sing in the night when he was going through those moments of pain and heartache. But it it didn't give him any comfort. Instead of giving him comfort, he began to go deeper into uh, doubt and grief. God is silent. And in his grief, these questions that he asks begins to lead to doubt. Look at some of the questions he's asking here. Will the Lord spurn forever and, and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? I remember when Jen and I were going through some of the uh, really, really difficult times um, during Cole's sickness, probably about eight years ago or so, and these were some of the questions that we were asking. We were asking questions like, if God has blessed me in the past, why doesn't he bless me now? If, if God is good then, why isn't he good now? Why are we going through this mess? Why do I feel like God has forgotten and abandoned me? Why can't I sense his presence? Why can't I feel his warmth and his love? Has his mercy, like we talk about his mercy, we'd go to church and we'd hear about how God's mercy is unending. Why does it feel like God's mercy has ended to us in this time? Is God mad at me? Is he angry at me? Is that why I'm going through this pain? Do I deserve this? And you know what I heard when I asked those questions? I'd love to tell you that I heard things like, or heard God with a sweet, small whisper in my ear say, ah, son, I got you. Don't worry about that. I'd love to tell you that I felt the uh, the touch of his hand on my shoulder and him draw me close in by his side and say, Chuck, I got you. This is going to be okay. But you know what I heard instead? Nothing. I didn't hear a thing. And just like Asaph, my faith was hanging on a very thin thread. And it was uh, a very hard time and I was getting ready to bolt. And in those moments of grief and doubt, I began to struggle deep with the faith that I said I had in God. City Light, I don't know what you're going through right now. For us, it was a period of going through a sickness with our youngest son. Maybe for some of you, it's a relationship that you thought was going to work out and it didn't. Maybe you thought you had that addiction like You you had it nailed, but then it begins to draw you back in. Could it be that you have these bills that are mounting up and you just don't know where the next dollar is going to come from and you get tired of the collections calls that keep coming your way and you don't know uh, what's going to happen? I don't know what it is, but right now the reality of grief and doubt setting in on you and you wonder if God has forgotten about you. You wonder if he's left you alone and you're entering into deeper Um, stages of grief and doubt. 
Life doesn't seem fair, and your faith is teetering. Can I tell you, friend, that I know that you feel like you're alone, but you're not. There are people all over this room. I've felt that way. There are people all over this room that have felt that way. And one of the reasons we value city groups is because city groups are designed to walk with you through those types of things. City groups are here to help us gather together as we remember these things, as we journey through life together. We celebrate. Man, we love celebrating. We have uh, barbecues in the backyard. We go to the farmer's market together. We hang out at the mall. We do all kinds of stuff in our city groups, and we celebrate. But the reality is sometimes life just isn't fun, right? And that same group of people, our city group, helps walk through us helps walk with us, helps us journey through those moments. And I remember in some of the moments whenever we were journeying through this sickness with coal, it was our city group that helped us in those moments. People in this room were part of that city group that helped us journey through that time. They brought us groceries when we didn't have time to go to the grocery store because we were going to uh, chemotherapy treatments. They, um, they also prayed with us whenever tests were getting ready to be run. They gave us hope. They cried with us. They showed us the hands and feet of Jesus by serving us. And that's why we love city groups so much is because it's very personal, because we get to walk and journey with each other, both through the good times, but also through the rough times. So Psalm 77, it shows us the reality of grief and doubt, right? It's, it's a part of life, and Asaph, he deals with that, but it doesn't leave us there. Psalm 77 also shows us how to remember God's goodness and the deliverance that he gives us. Look at verses 11 and 12 with me. It says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Suddenly, what we see in verses 11 and 12 is there's like this radical shift. He goes from like uh, grief and doubt to confidence and peace. What in the world happens? He steps back away from that edge of unbelief and he begins to um, experience what it means to have peace in a life of trouble. What's going on in his life? Is there, um, did he get some answers? God come down and show him exactly what was going to happen, that everything was going to be okay? No, God did not do that. Asaph, he makes a choice, and it prevents him from going deeper and deeper into grief and doubt. He sees that it's a choice. Look at the words of verse number 11. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all of your work. There's some intention there. There's some purpose in remembering what God had done for him in the past, what God had done for them in the past. I like how John uh, Piper, Pastor John Piper says it. He says it this way. These are conscious acts that he chooses to do. This is the fight of faith. This is the fight for delight. This is the opposite of passivity and resignation. This is a strategy 
of life. Asaph, what he teaches us is that in the moments of of doubt, in these desperate moments of grief, that God's goodness and deliverance is intentional. He tells us to, to go there, that that process, it's a process of deciding that God's goodness is available to us. It's a choice that we make. We intentionally say, God is good, and I'm going to trust in him. Asaph, he shows us this, but the disciples also shows this in John chapter 6. You might remember the story. Jesus just gets done saying some really hard things to a group of people, a large group of people that's there with him, and he says some really hard things. And as he says them, he, he, he sees people walking away. And rather than saying, oh, wait a minute, folks, I think you may have misunderstood what I said. Come back, come back, let me explain to you. He looks at those who are left, and he says, um, are you going to go too? Uh, you going to follow them? And... Peter, in verse number 68 of John chapter 6, he says, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Asaph is in a similar spot, right? He has a choice to make. His grief and doubt has led him to a tough spot. He stood at the edge of diving, of diving deeper into grief and doubt, and he stared down. But what did he do? He continued to believe that God is bigger than his circumstances. God is good, and he's delivered his people before. City Light, God is alive, and he's strong enough to withstand our hardest questions. And I remember when the specialist, when he came into our room, over at Children's Hospital in Omaha, he laid out exactly what, could face, what we could face with Cole. He also laid out a, a potential treatment plan, and he said that, I, I remember asking him, I said, uh, is this going to work, Doc? And as he looked at Cole, like he set his gaze on Cole for a seemed like eternity. <laughs> and then he looked back at us, and he said, I don't know, Chuck. I'm not sure if this is going to work or not. It's such a rare disease. They weren't exactly sure if this process of treatment was going to work. He said, all we can do is wait and see. That's all I could do. I couldn't do anything. I, all I could do was wait. There was no magical moment, no sign from heaven saying, hey, this is going to work out, Chuck. All we could do was wait. And in those moments of waiting, in those that led to days, those moments led to days, those days led to weeks, and those weeks led to months, which led to years. All we could do is wait and trust that God was going to heal our son. And I had to choose to remember that God is good, that his goodness and his deliverance has been available in the past, and I had to trust him for that in the future. I want you to see what Asaph chose to remember. Look in verses 13 and 14. He says, your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. The event that defined Israel 
was, it's called the Exodus. This was a time when um, God's people, they were in bondage for years in Egypt. They'd been slaved to the Egyptians forever. And now they were getting ready to leave. They had, Moses said, let my people go, right? He said, let my people go. And he went to Pharaoh multiple times. And we, we remember that these plagues that, that uh, God had put on Egypt was designed to uh, get these, his people out of the way. And finally, Pharaoh said, okay, if this is what it's about, I'm letting you go. Go, Egypt, or go, uh, Israelites, you go, and we don't want anything to do with you anymore. Well, eventually, they went, and they were on the edge of the sea. And Pharaoh changes his mind, sends out the armies and said, go and grab those people. So you have these people on the edge of the sea. The Egyptian army is chasing them down. They have the Red Sea in front of them, and their situation seemed hopeless. They thought they're either going to enter into bondage again or that they were going to be killed. But what happened? What Asaph remembers is that God told Moses to put his staff in the water and the water parted and those waters stacked up like walls and the nation of Israel walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. Asaph chose to remember that his God is a God who led the nation out of bondage by taking them through the depths of a parted sea. God displayed his awesome power and he proved to everyone that he is unique, that he is different, and that he's worthy of their worship. Then, when he, then look what he, else he remembers about God in verse number 16. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, and your footprints were unseen. Asaph remembered that God delivered his people. In verse 19, it says, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. The people of Israel did not know where God was leading them, right? But God had already prepared the way. He knew what he was doing. The psalmist remembers what God had done. He remembers that even though they may not see God at work, even though they can't trace God's hand, even though his footprints weren't unseen, he remembered that God led them through the, ocean, through the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground. Even though God's footprints were unseen, he knew exactly what he was doing. God is good and he delivered his people. I had to come to grips with this. I had to come to grips with the idea that even though my son was sick, he may not respond to the chemotherapy. That wasn't a guarantee. Thankfully, he did respond, and we did a wedding last week and celebrated big time with him, but we had no guarantees of that. I had to remember that God is in control, and he's at work even if Cole's body didn't respond. In those moments when we were waiting for healing for our son, our faith was in a God that we knew was holy. We were intentional and we remembered God's goodness and we remembered God's deliverance in the past. Let's take a look 
one more time at Psalm 77. We're going to look at verse number 20. He says, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Asaph, he remembers that God is the good shepherd that cares for his people like a shepherd cares for his sheep. Whenever we feel neglected or abandoned by God, remember that he is our shepherd. We're always in his care. Even when we don't feel like it, we are always in the care of God. He is our good shepherd. A good shepherd, he has in mind a purpose for his flock. If he leads his uh, sheep to up the mountain, to the pastures, he has a purpose for them being there. If he leads them beside the still waters, he has a purpose for them being there. If he takes them out into the field where they can see the wolves, he has a purpose for them being there. The good shepherd always has a purpose, and a good shepherd loves his sheep. Another thing a good shepherd does is a good shepherd redeems his own. He leaves the 99 to go and get the one whose, whose life is being overtaken by grief and doubt. That's what a good shepherd does. That's what Jesus did. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And he shows us his goodness. He shows us the goodness of God through the gospel. Everything that Jesus did, his life, his death, his resurrection was shown to us. It was given to us so that we could see that God wants to be near his people. Jesus paid the penalty for sin and he paid the price for our sin so that we could be near to God, so that we could be redeemed. He was crucified and raised from the dead so that we can be close to him, so that we can experience what it's like to be close to God. Asaph he remembered the greatest story up to that time. Folks, we get to remember the greatest story of all time. We get to remember the story of the gospel, the story of how God came near to his people. Even in their doubt and their grief, Jesus showed us the gospel. He shared with us the good news. We remember Jesus. We remember his teaching. We remember his miracles. We remember how he raised the dead, how he healed the sick. We remember how he shed his blood on the cross for our sin. But then we get to remember the greatest power of the, that God has ever displayed when he raised his from, son from the dead. We get to remember the resurrection. That moment when Jesus raised from the dead, proving that he's exactly who he said he was. You see, life isn't always fair, is it? It's not always fair. It wasn't fair for Asaph. It wasn't fair that a 12-year-old boy woke up on a Saturday morning coughing up blood. It wasn't fair that he had to spend over a week in the hospital. It wasn't fair that I didn't get to realize my pastoral dreams. Life doesn't always seem fair, but God never promised us that life is fair. He promised us that he's going to be with us in those most difficult times as we journey through grief and doubt. What you may be going through right now isn't fair, but I can tell you that Jesus is the good shepherd and he is with you in these most difficult times of your life. And whether he's leading you up those 
up that mountain to those pastures, or whether he's leading you beside the still waters for a refreshing drink, or whether he's leading you out into that field where you can see the wolves, like you feel the wolves, right? You feel the breath of, of the wolves on you. It's a little bit scary in these moments. Jesus is with you. Just know that you're exactly where you need to be because he is with you. Even though your faith may be hanging on, it may be teetering by a thread, know that he is with you. But can I ask you, would you take some intentional steps? Asaph said, I will remember. And he began to remember. Would you take some intentional steps to remember? One of those ways might be to step into a city group. You might, you might step into a city group so that as you journey through life in some of these difficult times, that people can come alongside you and remind you of the gospel, remind you the goodness and, and the deliverance that God has to offer through the gospel. Maybe your next step is just to continue to come here on Sunday mornings and receive the encouragement, sing and worship, and be blessed by what God does here on Sunday mornings. But maybe, just maybe for some of you, your next step could be, I want to trust this good shepherd. I, wanna, I want this good shepherd to walk with me in the midst of these hard times. Jesus knows your pain, and he's a great shepherd. He's experienced what it's like in life for, for it not to be fair. He knows what it feels like for life not to be fair. Jesus died a death that he didn't deserve so that we could have a life that we don't deserve. But the good news is he didn't stay there. He didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the dead, proving that he's exactly who he said he was. So maybe your step is to trust Jesus this morning. Would you do that this morning? See, like grief and doubt are real, but I want to encourage you to remember the good news of the gospel. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, it's the greatest story ever told. And no matter, um, no matter where you are this morning, it's that hope, the hope in the gospel that can take you from doubt to deep faith. Do you guys pray with me? Jesus, there are people in this room who are going through some very difficult times and they don't feel your presence. They don't see your footprints and they're overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed with grief and doubt. Holy Spirit, would you remind them of the gospel? Would you remind them of the good news that you have made a way for you to be with your people through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Oh, Holy Spirit, in the midst of their grief and doubt, would you call to remembrance in them the hope that can be found in what Jesus did? Would you show yourself in this moment to be a good shepherd that loves his sheep? Would you, right now, give them a mental picture of your face? Would they crawl up into your lap? Would they lay their head against your chest? And would they, would they feel... Would they feel the embrace of a father who loves them. Father, we love you and we trust you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.